Morning, church. Oh, man, you guys are wide awake, I can tell. We're just glad that you're here and uh, so thankful to be a part of this church, so, part to be, so glad to be gathered with you, uh, both here in person and those of you that are online. Uh, it's awesome to just look around the church and see so many of you. It's awesome to have our students in here with us. Uh, students, I have already heard just so many praises uh, from these, I know, sometimes us lame adults, but I have heard some praises about you guys and just how great it's been to have you all serving in here. So thank you, thank you, thank you, students. We love you guys and are so glad to have you here worshiping with us as well. Hey, and it's an important day for us as a church in a lot of ways before we jump into the Word of God. If you're a member here at Galilee, you know today we are voting on those folks that have been willing to step up to serve as elders and deacons and also on our budget. This is something we need to do every year, once a year. So you got this hopefully when you came in. If you did not get one of these ballots when you came in, there's one at every door, the main exits. You can grab one, fill that out, and then drop it in the box that's right out beside these main doors. We have our offering drop box, and you can just put that in there, okay? That'll help us, and we want to make sure we get those collected and have all those votes counted. Just a part of something we need to do as a church. So, hey, again, glad you're here. We are in the second part of this series that is called He Shall Be Called. And we're looking at this text, this prophetic text from a prophet named Isaiah, where he was pointing to and talking about Jesus. And so he's got a message for us this morning. Brian got us started last week, and we're going to talk about this text all through the month of December, getting us in the right mindset, getting our hearts grounded in Christ. And today we are going to focus on his mighty power. When Isaiah writes this text in Isaiah chapter 9, 6 and 7, he is using language that would have likely been involved in the coronation of kings during this time period. This is notable because the original hearer of this text would have heard the kingly language as this person, who we know to be Jesus now, as this person that the prophet Isaiah was talking about gets mentioned in this text, the language there, again, was used as a part, at least part of the language, was used when they would coronate a king in their day and age. So the original hearer heard this, and they said, man, this is kingly language. This is pointing to somebody special. This is pointing to a leader that I should be paying attention to. Now, I tell you about the original hearer in that, because something I've been teaching most of you all for years and years is that we understand Scripture best when we can understand it as the original hearer would have understood it. So in this context today, we listen to the text and we say, boy, they had some idea of who, he, who the prophet's talking about. We have even greater clarity today that, can, that you know, it gives us trust, it gives us strength, it increases our faith. So I know I've introduced it a lot, but let's get into it. Isaiah 9 6 and 7, because I want you to hear it with ears that are similar to those who would have first heard it. It says, for a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. 
the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. So again, you've got this, the focus that for us today, because Brian got us started last week talking about the wonderful counselor aspect, the one we're focusing on today, mighty God. He is mighty, and that is something that we sometimes forget is that we serve a mighty God that can do immeasurably more than we would ask, hope, or imagine, and yet we find ourselves consistently relying on our own might, our own power, and then being frustrated when that doesn't go well, right? And the text is reminding us that he is mighty. He is the one that came to save us in a mighty way, but he also is providing you and me as believers with a mighty power that goes beyond our own. But we have to access that power. Look, we all get accessing power. You know, we go in our homes and we flip a light switch and the lights come on. We get in our car and we turn a key or maybe these days we push a button and the car comes on. We can access power and we understand how to do it. Yet time after time after time, we consistently live out this Christian life relying more on ourselves than we ultimately rely on Jesus. And that's foolish. It, it's just a foolish thing to say, no, no, I got this. No, no, I can handle this. No, no, my own strength, my own power, I'm enough. And again, we find consistently in our lives where we feel like, yeah, I'm, I'm not enough. I'm a mess. I, I don't have it all together. Why is this aspect of my life going so poorly? Why am I struggling? Why am I sad? Why am I depressed? Why can't I handle the weight of this? Why is my anxiety such a challenge? Well, the answer to those questions is ultimately bound up in the fact that we are relying on ourselves. When a wellspring of power and might is available to us in the person of Jesus Christ. And the connectedness to that does not mean that you know, again, it's not about what we've done. It's about what he offers us access to. But we have to decide to use it. That's the, that's the huge part, this big thing we call faith. We have to access it, take hold of it. And, and rather than that, what we do, we end up too much like this lady in the very, very early days of electricity. They connected up power to her house. She was there. She was raising several children she had done all this work in this place where they before previously had had no electricity. She'd done all this work to get electricity connected up to her house, you know, jumping through all the hoops, even that she had to do so many years ago. They got the power connected to her house, but after a time, the power company started to notice, and again, these were the early days, they started to notice there's basically no power being used in this house. So something must be going on. So they sent a technician over to her house to find out what the problem was. They figured there must be something, some kind of an issue with that, the power set up at the house. So they got there, they examined everything, checked everything, and they found out that sure enough, the technician saw everything was okay. And so he went and he knocked on the door and he went to talk to the lady and say, listen, the power seems to be working here, but you are using almost no power every month. And she says, no, no. We use the power, nothing's wrong. 
every night we cut on the power long enough to light our lamps. And then we cut it back off. And this was how they were accessing this power that was right at their fingertips and relying on an old sense of, you know, strength. And friends, isn't that us? I mean, isn't that what we do when we continually turn to our own power rather than trusting in the power of our Lord, right? It's available to us. Grab hold of it. It is a power that can revolutionize our lives unto and into eternity. But instead, as I've said, we just find ourselves continually frustrated, feeling like we're not enough, feeling like this life overwhelms us, feeling like we don't have the answers. And, and look, I'm just going to be straight up with you. I think that that is absolutely purposeful by the Lord to allow you to feel like you're not enough. And that may seem like a cruel or unkind statement, but I don't think it's cruel or unkind at all. If he who can save you, if he who can empower you, loves you enough to remind you of that, that's not unloving. In fact, it's quite the opposite. It's the most loving thing he can do for you. It would be like me coming to you in the parking lot and you standing there and saying, oh, my car won't start. And me knowing that I have jumper cables in my car and being like, good luck with that. Right? I mean, it'd be the same kind of thing for me to not offer you access to the power that I have available to you that can keep you from being stranded. That this, this would be cruel for me to do that. And so our Lord, who is not cruel, offers this to you, a power to you. When Christ, who dwells in our hearts in a form of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit alive and well in us is a spirit of power, power to love, even when we don't want to. Power to love people that are unlovely. We say, I, don't, I can't love somebody like that. I have trouble even liking somebody like that. How in the world can I do it? Well, you're right. You can't do it. But the Lord in you and through you and by his might and his power absolutely can. He gives you power to forgive people that you don't want to forgive. People that the world would look at and say, well, you don't have to forgive them. <laughs> they don't even want you to forgive them. Why would you do that? Well, because if Jesus has gotten a hold of my heart, I have access to a radical forgiveness that goes beyond my own gifts and abilities. And this is substantial. This is power. Yeah, you, you can't on your own because on your own, you're just caught up in all the feelings you have and all the pain you have and all of those things are legitimate. That doesn't delegitimize your pain. Make sure you hear me saying that. No, instead, in the positive, it empowers an ability in you to forgive in a way that you never could on your own. I saw a powerful testimony video that was going around this weekend. It was from a young lady that was speaking at the funeral of her father, who is a police officer that was recently slain in the line of duty. 
and she was talking about how she really hoped that she could get the opportunity to address face-to-face the person that had taken the life of her father. Now, when you hear that, your initial reaction is probably to think, man, I bet she's going to let him have it. If I could be in that position, I'd get a hold of that person and I'd wring the life right out of them. And that'd be a pretty natural human reaction. Be a pretty understandable response. But see, her response is beyond that. It's beyond the base humanity that we all have. Her response was, I wish that I could get face to face with him so that I could tell him about Jesus and about the forgiveness that he offers for what he's done. You don't do that of your own power. You don't share and offer radical forgiveness like that because you just got really good at forgiving people. Now, come on. That only comes from a wellspring of life that is bound up in the power of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit alive and well in you. Power to love, power to forgive, power to trust, even when you don't see the answers, even when things seem dark. Power over fear and addiction and anxiety and worry and lust and guilt and all these things that continually trip us up. The power of Christ is available to you. It's available to you. And yet we keep trying to lean into ourselves. He he will give you a power to persevere beyond what you could do on your own. A power to overcome your discouragements and your disappointments that go beyond your own strength. You need it. I need it. I know this. Power to give you hope and a future in the midst of difficulty and heartbreak. Power to replace grumbling and complaining with gratitude and thanksgiving. In short, here's the deal. Let me just sum it all up. In short, he has given you access to power that can bring about real and lasting change in your life. I know some of you are sitting out there today, whether you are a student or whether you are our oldest adult or whether you are somewhere in between. I know that you are sitting out there, some of you, in a place of skepticism. How can you say, Nick, that this kind of power is available to me? Because I'm not feeling that. That that hasn't been my experience. Well, here's what I'm telling you. That when you fall at the feet of Christ, when you give yourself authentically to him and you seek to follow him with your whole life, day by day, day in and day out, recognizing that this spiritual life is a process, you will find these things we've been talking about. You will gain access to this power that is beyond yourself to do everything we've laid before you. As I lay this out there, this, this kind of hope and you know, ability to love and forgive and find strength and you know, overcome my disappointments, all those things sound good and we want it. I mean, we want that. It's hard not to want that. 
But not everybody will take it up. Not everybody will claim it. Not everybody will pursue it. Some people will be happy with status quo. Listen, when Jesus first came thousands of years ago, he came into a world that at least the followers of the one true God, they were expectant. They were hopeful for a Messiah, hopeful for a Savior. Prophets like Isaiah had been talking this up for years. They'd gone 300 years with nothing to hear from any of the prophets. And man, they, sh they should have been hungry. I think they were hungry for might and power and strength and hope. But they ended up just like some of you. Just like me at times in my own life. They ended up skeptical. <laughs> and why were they skeptical? Well, because the power and the might didn't look like what they thought it should. It didn't manifest in a way that checked all their boxes. So they doubted. They lacked faith. They couldn't find hope when it was staring them right in the face, literally and figuratively. This was the problem. Because, see, Jesus came wrapped in human flesh. The mighty God of the universe that created everything, including you, came wrapped in the form of a baby in a stall in a dingy town. And it didn't make any sense. And it made, <laughs> it made even less sense when that same one that had said he was God and from God died on a criminal's cross, suffering the penalty that was meant for the worst of the worst. And so people looked at this and they said, well, that, that can't be power. I mean, come on, that can't be hope. Look at it. It's, it's dying right there on a cross with other common criminals. Why should I find my hope or my strength there? Listen, you and I now know something that some of them could not grasp that Jesus purposefully came in a lowly form. That Jesus came and was willing to set aside power so that we might simply love him, fall at his mercy, and look to him as our ultimate strength when we found out that he was actually the key to life and death himself, when he overcame death for you and me, when he died on a cross where he could have come up with some other plan, but he didn't because it was the only one that would work, which was a sacrifice, a perfect sacrifice for the sins that you've done and that I've done. And he paid the price there as a perfect sacrifice that we might find forgiveness. Friends, it was the 
It was the hope of the world from the beginning of time. Jesus knew what would have to be done. And he willingly and lovingly went to the cross because of you and me. He willingly and lovingly found himself there because he was willing to lay aside power. We know he could have called angels to come at his beck and call and take away the pain, the suffering, the indignity. But he wouldn't do it. Instead, he died on that cross. And then he did exactly what he said he was going to do three years later, three days later, to bring hope for the entire world. This is the story of what Jesus has done for you, bound up in two words that Isaiah has laid before us, mighty God. But again, the early followers of the one true God, they couldn't grasp it. They couldn't get a hold of it because they were so busy with their own preconceived notions of what the Lord's might had to look like. What they wanted was a king riding in with an army to crush Rome and to say, now you are back in power, and now look, all of the people of the world again will bow at your feet because now you have human power. You have earthly might. Friends, that's what they wanted. And so when Jesus didn't bring that, they left disappointed. Sometimes Jesus will not give you what you want. And when that happens, you will find feelings of disappointment seeking to creep in. But when you will submit to what you know in your heart of hearts is his ultimate mighty power over your eternity, it will change everything. It will change how you view these temporary disappointments that are a part of your life and my life and everyone's life. It'll help you see things differently. But you have to start taking up a perspective that says, I know who my Jesus is. I know how he ultimately is moving and manifesting in my life. Even when I can't see it, we sing this song a lot here, even when I can't see it, he's working. And this is a reminder, he's mighty. And this mighty God has made himself available to us today. When Paul the apostle wrote to the church at Ephesus, the early church, he was writing to them and he was praying for them about one in very intentional thing in the first part of his letter. He prayed that they would be able to grasp the might of God. Paul knew about it. Paul had experienced it on the Damascus Road. When Paul, who was on his way to persecute Christians, got derailed and became a Christian. <laughs> you know, I don't know where you found yourself today coming into this space or joining us online. I don't know where you found yourself, and maybe you're not a Christian yet, and maybe you're about to get derailed. Maybe you already are, but you're not finding yourself submitting to his might day in and day out. 
Paul did not expect to have his life and his story derailed, but it was. And it was derailed by Jesus. And I can promise you the best thing that could happen to you is to have your life and your plans derailed by Jesus. Can I get an amen? It's the best thing in the world that could happen to you. So it's my prayer for you that you would be confronted in this same way and that you would hear the voice of Paul in the back of your head. There's the text. Listen to what he says. I pray that you will begin to understand the incredible, incredible greatness of his power for us who believe in him. Listen, I'm praying for that for you. I'm praying for more of that for me in every way that I would fall back onto my own self-sufficiency. I am praying that the Lord will remind me of his all-sufficiency and that his might and his power would just be something that continually I'm awakened to. We need to be changed by his power but we can only be changed by his power when we submit to the power, when we submit to his authority over our lives. And I'm telling you right now, that may not always be a pleasant experience. Sometimes it hurts because sometimes change is hard. Sometimes submitting and trusting and having faith is hard because it requires us laying down our perceived control. Nobody likes to let go of control. We, we all want to be in control. So when Jesus calls us and says, you're no longer in control of your life, I am. If you want to follow me, give me everything and trust me. And if you don't, then don't. But if you do, that's the invitation. You know, C.S. Lewis, in his great books that I know the vast majority of you have at least heard about, and many, many of you have read, uh, The Chronicles of Narnia, the, the fourth book in that series is called The Silver Chair. And I feel like there's a couple of paragraphs in that particular book, in that particular part of this broader story that Lewis, who is one of the great apologists, which is a fancy word for defenders of Christianity. I think it is one of the, the best portions of any book other than the Bible, one of the best portions of any book other than the Bible that gives a beautiful picture of what it's like to have your life and, and, and get it taken over, to, to give it in submission to Christ. And so I think it's so good, I'm going to share it with you. I'm going to read it to you. In the, in the story, Jill, a young girl in the story, she comes into this clearing out of the forest. And as a part of the story, Jill finds herself, she is incredibly thirsty. She is so thirsty that she is literally feeling like she's dying of thirst. So she comes out of this clearing or into this clearing out of the woods and sees this beautiful clear river that's flowing. And so she rushes towards it like any of us would do if we were dying of thirst. But as she gets nearer the river, she immediately hesitates in fear. Why? Well, like any of us, she hesitates in fear because there is a lion 
flying in front of the river. As you probably know, in Lewis's books, this lion, Aslan, is representative of Jesus Christ. So there is Aslan laying there by this stream. And now she's having to ponder, like any of us would, well, what do I do next? I'm dying of thirst, but there's a lion <laughs> by the river, by the stream I'm trying to get to. And so then the lion speaks to her, and he says, are you not thirsty? Because he already knows she is, of course. I'm dying of thirst, says Jill. Well, then drink, said the lion. May I, may I, would I, could you, would you mind just going away for a while? Asked Jill. That seems a reasonable ask, you know. The lion answers, though, only by a look and a very low growl. And as Jill gazed at its motionless bulk, she realized that she might as well have asked, the whole mountain to move aside for her convenience. And the delicious rippling noise of the stream was driving her nearly frantic at this point. So she says, will you promise not, will you promise not to do anything to me if I come, said Jill. I make no promise, said the lion. Jill was so thirsty now that without even noticing it, she had come a step closer. Do you eat girls? She said. I have swallowed up girls and boys, women and men, kings and emperors, cities and realms, said the lion. It didn't say this as if it were boasting, nor as if it were sorry, nor as if it were angry. It just said it. I dare not come and drink, said Jill. Then you will die of thirst, said the lion. Oh dear, oh dear, said Jill, coming a step nearer. I suppose I must go and look for another stream then, she said. The lion responded, there is no other stream. And this, my friends, is the clarion call of Christianity. It is the beautifully clear call that Jesus makes on the life of every human being. Lewis is capturing a key biblical truth in this story. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other stream. There is no other source of ultimate life. There is no other way to God than through him, Jesus, the lion. But here's the catch. And it's the hardest part, I suppose, of all of this. When we give ourselves to him, he makes no promise not to do things to us. In fact, we can be sure that he will. <laughs> he will. 
He'll soothe our thirst, oh yes. But what else he may do, no one can tell, at least in every aspect, because he'll do in us what he deems best for us and his kingdom's sake. Giving us, again, not always what we want, but what we need. He is, and please hear me when I say this, he is not a tame lion. We cannot control him. But he is good. Oh, he is very, very, very good. And he can be trusted. He is mighty. And he is not to be trifled with. My prayer for you and for me this Christmas is that we will stop playing around in the shadow of the might of God. We have been far too happy to dwell in the shadow, to hang out on the edges, to only come to Jesus and his might and his power when we finally find ourselves at the end of our proverbial rope. May we recognize that day in and day out, something better is offered to us. May we daily recognize that there is a hope and a power and a might and a strength that will give you what you need, not just for today, but every day forward into eternity, if we will trust him, rather than relying on ourselves. It's a fool's game. And it is to degrade the very power of Jesus Christ, or at least to attempt to degrade the very power of Jesus Christ, to trust in yourself rather than the might that he offers to you. Because I can promise you, as good as you think you are, Jesus is better. As good as you think you've gotten at something, Jesus is better. As much as you think you've gotten your life in line, Jesus is better. C.S. Lewis says one other thing, well, he says lots of things, but one other thing that really resonates with me. And it perfectly sums up where we find ourselves far too often. It's one of his most famous quotes. <laughs> and it really comes down to how happy we find ourselves sometimes with just the status quo, just kind of going through the motions and, again, thinking we kind of, we can handle this life. We got it going on well enough. You know, I guess our life's not a total train wreck, so everything's okay. Why would I need to try to dig deeper and, you know, increase my faith and trust the Lord more and all these things? Why? Listen to what he says. He said, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what's meant by the offer of a holiday by the sea. We are far too easily We are far too easily pleased. 
we are far too easily satiated. <laughs> our needs and our desires and the things that we pursue for happiness. We try to run just fast enough and play around in the edges of the glory and might of God just enough to keep our heads above water. And I'll just be straight up with you. I think most of us have gotten pretty decent at that part of it. I mean, we've gotten pretty good at doing just enough to get by. But I've told you once, and I'll tell you again, the best thing that could happen to you, the best thing that could happen to you is Jesus showing you you're not enough. Opening your eyes so that you'd finally say, you know what, I, I need more of you, Jesus. I need to trust you more. I need more hope. I need more might that I can't, I can't do this on my own. I can't be what I know you want me to be. I can't accomplish what it, what it is you want me to accomplish. I can't live out this Christian life without an ultimate reliance on you. Why am I acting like there isn't power available to me? Why am I thinking that I've got to do it on my own when it's right there and you've promised it to me? Immeasurably more than I could ask, hope, or imagine, you're offering this to me, Jesus, if I'll just have faith, if I'll believe, if I'll trust you. So look, my prayer for you and for me is that we will remember that we serve a mighty God that will give you access to mighty power in his name. May we believe it anew today. Will you pray with me as we prepare our hearts for communion?